0: This is kind of a, a cool experience for me. Uh, there are probably a whole lot of you who have no idea who I am, and that is weird. So my name is Michelle, and um, I've been a member here forever, and I'm currently at Bronzeville. And so this is the first time that I feel like a visiting preacher at this church. (laughs) And I'm looking out and I'm like, there are a whole lot of faces that I don't know. And y'all don't know me. And this is all very strange, but I miss you guys. Um, I love, love, love Bronzeville, but I miss seeing the faces that I was so used to seeing all the time and worshiping with y'all. So I feel I'm kind of happy to be back for this Sunday. Um, well, as you guys can see in your bulletins, if you, if you looked in the back, The title of this message is Rekindling the Flame. Uh, This is actually not going to be a sermon on, you know, getting your marriage, the spice back in your marriage as the title would lead you. But for those of you guys who uh, have heard me preach before, you may recall that I'm, I'm really, really bad at titling my sermons Really, really bad. So this is evidence that what I'm actually going to talk to y'all today about is sort of, um, reigniting our passion for God. Um, I want us today to, to think about, to look at why we do the things that we do and who is this God that we serve and have we forgotten how awesome it is that we are children of the living God. So that's where we're going. Um, how many of you guys grew up in churches that have like a liturgical follow the liturgical calendar? Anybody? Okay, a handful of folk. Um, so for the rest of us who did not, and maybe for those of you who did but don't follow it anymore, we are currently in a season of ordinary time on the on the church calendar. This is ordinary time. doesn't that sound exciting. Ordinary time. Yes. <laughs> so um, basically, what this calendar does um, is it looks it sort of orients the year based on the life of Jesus. So you have, um, you know, it starts with Advent, and we have Christmas, and then we have Easter, and Advent, um, not Advent, I'm sorry, Ascension, and then Pentecost, and then we fall into this space of ordinary time, which is, you know, there are no holidays going on. That's the best way I can say it. But if you think about what this time period was for the early church, I mean, if you think what this calendar sort of is trying to capture are the things that Jesus was actually doing when he was alive, when he died, when he rose, and then when he was in heaven and the church was sort of being planted. So as we know from the New Testament, after Jesus rises from the dead or is raised from the dead, mm -hmm, so he walks around with his disciples. He goes and he's teaching and he's living with them. So you can imagine that this was an exciting time. And that, that period lasted for about 40 days. So even though we only celebrate one Easter Sunday, you know, in this church, on the church calendar, there's about four or five Easters. People were walking, talking, eating with a man that had died. And now he was risen. This was an exciting time. And so then even in what we now call ordinary time for the church, this, this, time when the church was being birthed. The Holy Spirit came, folk were filled and on fire, and they were going forward and starting ministries. And they were hammering out their theology, trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be people of God. I think a good example of this is Corinthians, right? Like you can see a church that kind of didn't get it all the way, they had gotten really focused on the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, and so they had forgotten a little bit how to love one another. <laughs> so Paul writes to them, and he's like, you know, that's cool, but no, this is not what we do. You, you have to share with the poor. We, we need to love each other. That's what this thing is all about. So what we see through these writings are that the church trying to figure this whole thing out. What does it look like for us? We didn't necessarily know Jesus, so what does it mean for me to now be a Christian? I imagine that this was an exciting time. Even for the people who didn't get to spend those 40 days with Jesus, they had to have felt like they were a part of a movement. I mean, you, you guys remember when you first got saved, right? How many people just got saved recently? Anybody? Praise the Lord. There should be more hands. <laughs> Amen. But for, so for all of y'all then, <laughs> with the exception of this gentleman, you know how we felt in the beginning and how you're feeling right now probably. It's all new. It's exciting. It's passionate. You couldn't wait to get home and get into your word. You couldn't wait to go to church on Sunday to hear what was going to be said. You were excited about this thing. And every time you packed open your Bible, you probably learned something new or expected to learn something new. I imagine that this is what the early church felt like. But then somewhere along the line, you know, long after the church had been established and had become the big C church, somewhere, somehow, someone decided we need to have this liturgical calendar to sort of orient us, and we got ordinary time. And ordinary time feels very, very ordinary, um, when I was sort of looking up the, the calendar, I came up on this quote that struck me. It says, The liturgical year attempts to provide the same pattern of repetition needed for growth that the natural year provides. A pattern of repetition needed for growth. Ordinary time. See, somewhere along the line, it all has become ordinary. Instead of this mysterious God being mysterious, we kind of have figured it out, right? And we do the things we're supposed to do. We go to church. We, we read our Bibles. We say a prayer here or there. But it's all ordinary. Well, this is what I want to talk to us about this morning. Um, and our scripture for the day is coming from the book of Revelation, And you can actually turn there if you want. Um, Revelation chapter 2. And so basically, this is um, just some background information. We're looking at God's words to the church in Ephesus. And for those of you guys who, who you know, have read this before, basically, God gives John some, some letters that he's supposed to read to various churches. And in these letters, there are praises for the things that they've done well, and there's also some critiques and calls to repentance. And so we're going to focus on what the Lord says to the church in Ephesus. Now, if you guys... Actually, you probably don't. I bet there's no one here who remembers Pastor Peter's Bible study on Ephesians. Anybody? Y'all do? Okay. Okay. Pray too. All right. So, all right. Over there. So, when we first started this church, before we ever met on a Sunday, um, we would meet in community groups or small groups, and Pastor Peter led all of them for at one point in time, and he was walking us through the book of Ephesians. This is how he wanted us to start because he recognized that there were some important things in this book. There were some important things about this particular church um, that would be helpful, useful to us as we were trying to launch. And so what we're going to see today is this church, you know, it was definitely a model church, but not a perfect church. And so I think that what we will find in Paul's words are some encouragement for those of us who have fallen into a perpetual state of ordinary time. Let's go ahead and um, get into the word. Like I said, Revelations chapter 2, and beginning with the first verse, reads, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. All right, so let's unpack these verses. Um, there are three important praises that stand out that I really want us to focus on. Um, these are the commendations that John gives to the church. The first thing that he says is, the first thing that he notes are their deeds, their hard work. This is not a lazy church. It's not a church full of bench-warming Christians. And you guys know the kind of church I'm talking about. Uh, The church where the pastor, the pastoral staff, and maybe a good handful of volunteers do all the heavy lifting. And everybody else comes Sunday after Sunday. They take their spot on the pew and they are fed. This is not that kind of church. Um, I think sometimes it's easy for us to take for granted what we have here. Uh, I know this has been happening in Bronzeville, so I imagine it's been happening here. You guys have likely been hearing lots of announcements asking people to serve. We need volunteers. Children's ministry worship team, I'm speaking from Bronzeville, hallelujah. We need volunteers, right? We need people (laughs) to step up and serve. And so sometimes because that need for volunteers is always so great, we can forget how blessed we are. Um, I, I have a friend who is a pastor in California, and, you know, the church is smaller, maybe about the size of the Bronzeville church, a little bigger. And we were talking one day about ministry stuff, and we got to talking about community groups or small groups. So they have midweek Bible studies just like we do, but every last one of them is led by someone on staff. So I thought that was a little bit odd. And as we continued talking, it turned out that almost every ministry in the church is run by someone on staff. Now, they only have three people on staff. Now, it's not because they think this is ideal. The problem is that they can't get folk in the church to step up and serve. And they can't trust people to take ownership of these ministries. So you end up with a church with plenty of people to serve, with ministries being led by three people. Thank God that is not who we are. That's not our problem. There are people who are at this church who have been serving from day one. There's some of y'all out here who've been here serving for years and have not become members yet. We are a church (laughs) of people (laughs) who serve. So that is awesome. That is awesome. But this isn't the only thing that this church in Ephesus gets praised for. Not only are they hard workers, not only is this a church of people who understand and take ownership of this ministry, they're praised because they have persevered. They have endured. These were Christians who had been imprisoned um, because of their faith. These are folk who might have had family members tossed into lion dens because of their faith, and yet they were still there. They were still faithful. They were still holding on. I am positive that some of us today, maybe we have not been thrown into lion's dens, but there are some people here who have lost family, who have lost friends because of their faith. And yet, you are here today. We are here today praising our God. There are folks who, like I said, maybe you didn't get put in jail. Maybe you're not um, in a place. We live in America and we can wear a cross if we want to and say hallelujah on the street. But there are people who have endured the suffering that life throws at you joblessness, homelessness, brokenness, loss of children. I mean, as a church, we have experienced hardship. And yet here we are today, praising God, holding to our faith, being emboldened by one another and by these experiences, knowing that God is good, God is awesome. I couldn't help but think of New Community when I read that passage. Well, the next praise that, that John gives is that this is a church that cannot tolerate wicked men, and more importantly, they have tested false apostles and found them to be false. Now, this is significant because to test a false apostle, you have to know what a true apostle might sound like, look like. In other words, this was a church that knew the word, it wasn't a group of people who sort of led by a personality, who were coming day in and day out because they just really, really, really liked the person who was standing in front of them. This is a group of people who understand what it means to be people of God. They know the gospel, and they can tell when something ain't right. Right. I again thought of new community. One of the things that I've always loved about our pastor and the way that this church is run is that you don't have one person standing in front of you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. From the very beginning, Pastor Peter has been committed to having multiple voices come up here. Whenever I talk to people, um, you know, new folk, and I ask them, you know, well, well, what led you to the church? Why'd you choose new community? Without fail, I always get some variation of, you know, I was looking for a, you know, fill in the blank kind of church, a diverse church, a young church, a vibrant church, a whatever kind of church. And I came here and I loved the teaching. People are here because they are being fed, because they are hearing the word of God, and that is exciting, and people are drawn to it. That is a blessing. So this was a church that knew the gospel. And yet, and yet, they are still being condemned. Or not condemned, but rebuked. See, for all practical purposes, it seems like this church in Ephes- the Ephesians church was a great church. They seem to be doing everything right. And yet God says to them, you have abandoned your first love. So what does that mean then? They are hard workers. They know the word. They have persevered. They are faithful. How then have they abandoned their first love? What could that possibly mean? It doesn't have anything to do with their actions apparently because they're doing the right things. Well, I would like to submit to you today that what is wrong with the church in Ephesus is that they had adopted a passionless walk. Not faithless, but passionless. They had fallen into a place where everything felt like ordinary time. So yes, they were doing what they needed to do. They were believing the things they needed to believe, but it was all ordinary. So what about us? How does this relate to us? So now it's September, almost the end of September. We are approaching the Christmas holidays, you know, and that's a very exciting time in the life of the church. It's a time when we get reminded of who we are and what we believe. But outside of those holiday times, I think for us, most of us at least, we have fallen into ruts. We have put God into a box. And we have decided that we have fathomed the unfathomable God. So we don't go to our word anymore expecting to see fresh revelation. No, we go to the passages that we, you know, always go to. Or we don't go to it at all. We might pray, but our conversations are one-sided. Because we don't really expect God to say anything back. We have fallen into this place where we serve, we come, we do But I think a lot of us, if we're honest today, we have lost sight of the awesome, mysterious God that we serve. We sing the songs we always sing on Sunday, and we expect to be moved in the same ways we are always moved. Um, Pastor Peter has uh, talked a lot about, in the past, sort of a consumer approach to Christianity that a lot of us have. You know, we church a lot. You come, you find a church, you sit there, and then, you know, you're looking for it to feed you, to serve you, to meet your needs, and you stay for as long as it does, and then you go somewhere else. This is kind of how we do church nowadays. And I think a lot of it has to do with just our generation and the culture in general. This is kind of how we approach life. You know, we, you want something to work immediately. We get the new, and I'm speaking to myself now, the new iPhone that comes out every time it comes out because... I mean, clearly the phone that was perfectly fine yesterday is now, you know, obsolete. I need a new one. This is kind of how we move through life. But I think another part of this has to do with longing. I think that a lot of us are desperately yearning for that feeling we used to get. We are longing to feel the way we used to feel when we just got saved, when it was all new, when it was all exciting, when we were so passionate, when we couldn't wait to get home and worship the Lord all by ourselves in our little living room, where every conversation we had was about how good God was. We are longing for that. And so I think that church hopping gives us that fix for a little while, right? You go to a new church, you feel that for a moment. The pastor's new, the worship team is new, the people are new, everything is bright, sunshiny, and new, and then that wears off. And you find yourself searching for that next fix. See, I think that we lose passion because we lose the mystery. We stop hungering and thirsting for fresh revelation because we don't really believe that there's anything fresh for us to learn. We now have all the answers. Like the church in Ephesus, we continue to do the right things. We continue to believe the right things. But somewhere along the line, it becomes ordinary time. Instead of walking in the joy of the Lord, we are constantly walking around feeling like, well, I didn't do what I needed to do that day. I missed the mark this time. And so eventually we get numb. When was the last time you were really, really, really excited about Sunday? When was the last time you woke up and could not wait to get here? Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) I know for me... (laughs) And you know something, brother? I feel that because I get excited about dinner. (laughs) I I get excited about dinner. (laughs) I do. But I know I don't always get as excited about church. (laughs) And I used to love church. (laughs) So it's sad to me that those moments when I feel like I'm doing it, I have to be there because, oh, well, I'm singing on the worship team today or, oh, goodness, I'm preaching. So I suppose I should go. That's sad. (laughs) This was the charge against the church at Ephesus. But this is the awesome part about this passage. See, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the rebuke. See, we read verse five. It says, remember the height from which you have fallen, repent and do the things you did first. Now you may be saying, Michelle, okay, so it didn't end with rebuke. That doesn't sound like a warm, fuzzy something that I can take home and feel good tonight about. You're right. At first, hearing those words sound a little bit harsh, I would say. It goes on to say, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. Now, that sounds, like I said, a little bit harsh. But if you think about what it means, I think that this is extraordinarily encouraging. So the first thing I need to say is that the lampstand does not represent salvation. So God is not saying to them, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and all of y'all are going to hell. That's not, that's not what this is. <laughs> that's not what this is. The lampstand here represented the church's witness. So if, if they don't repent, God is saying, I will remove your candlestick. In other words, you will become an ineffective church. You won't have a good witness. Now, why is this good news? God is telling them that unless they turn away from what they are doing now, unless they stop the sin that they are involved in right now, they will not be an effective church. And the sin, and this is what is powerful, the sin is a passionless walk. Remember, these are hard workers. They're doing the right things. They believe the right things. See, our Father is so in love with us, that he will not let us just do the right things. He wants us to be passionate about him. He doesn't just need our work, right? We're not pawns in some cosmic chess game and he just moves us here and moves us there and okay, I need a workhorse here, go over there. Uh Uh-uh, God doesn't need us in that way. He desires us to be in love with him. That is good news. God says to them, unless you return to me, come back to me, you won't be effective. I don't need y'all to go out there and be the best little workers you could be. I want your hearts. See, this should make a lot of sense for those of us who are married, right? So my husband, Carlos, he is an awesome husband and just amazing. And yes. So, and he does... You know, not everything. Nobody can do everything right. But he does most things right in my eyes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little biased. But this man could come home every day and tell me that I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. He could bring me breakfast in bed every morning. He could give me a rose every evening. But if he was doing it just because somewhere along the line somebody told him, this is how you should keep your wife happy, and there was no passion, there was no love... I would be in a very unhappy marriage. Now, he does not do any of those things on a regular basis. And I have an awesome marriage. <laughs> because everything that he does for me, I know, comes out of his love for me, his passion for me. Amen? <laughs> Y'all understand, I'm, he's a good man, right? I'm not, I, didn't, I don't know if that last thing came out right. <laughs> See, we mean so much to God that he is not concerned about the things that we do for him. He wants our heart. So what did you do before? What would this look like in your life? Did you worship on a Wednesday? (laughs) Did you open your Bible excited about what you would find? What did you do before? Because today God is calling us to return to that thing, to do the things that we once did. I know that as I was preparing this passage, um, one of the things that was brought to my memory that I, I haven't done in so long, I forgot. Um, I used to always sing to God and not, you uh, no, I still sing songs, you know, church songs that I like, but I used to sing my own songs that God would give me, that the Holy Spirit would give me in my time to worship. And I just sing and sing and sing and sing. And I was, I was, I was uh, you know, preparing the sermon. I realized I had not done that in a very, very long time. So I know that one of the things that I need to go back to is that I opened my mouth this week and I sang a song that the Holy Spirit gave me for the first time in a very, very long time, and it felt good. What did you do before? See, the good news is that this cross, this is our guarantee that when we return to that first love, when we do the things that we did before, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God—they're waiting for us. God is there, beckoning us, calling us, drawing us back, and He will be there when you do the things you did before. You're going to be surprised, because I believe with my heart of hearts that you will feel the things you felt before, and maybe even more. God desires our hearts. He desires our hearts, and He delights when we return to Him. Um the worship team can come on back up. New community, it is not about what we can do for him. God is an awesome and a loving father. He is a wonderful God who loves us and desires to be loved by us. I encourage you this week to forget your pad answers Go back and read those passages that you used to read, that you have stopped reading, either because you no longer have an answer, they're too difficult, they make you uncomfortable, or because you decided, you, eh, I know what that's all about anyway. Go back and read those things. Go back and seek the Lord. Pray, sing, dance on a Wednesday. Turn some Kirk Franklin on or whoever you may listen to and just get busy in the Lord. <laughs> I encourage you to return to the things that you did before. Return to your first love. Pray with me. God, God, I thank you that you are an awesome God. I thank you that you are a big God. I thank you that even though you desire to reveal yourself to us and that you do, you allow us to see you, to see glimpses of you. I thank you that we will never be able to fathom you because you are bigger than us, you are bigger than our imaginations, you are bigger than our intellects. God, I pray that 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 mystery, Lord Jesus, would be restored to us. I ask today that for anyone who is in a space of ordinary time, that you would restore unto them the joy of their salvation. And I thank you because I know you have heard it and that you desire to do it, and so it is as good as done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray and I ask all of these things. Amen. God desires your heart. God is in love with you. Return to the things that you once did. In Jesus' name, amen.